0: Well, if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Um, many of you all know we have been, uh, since the first year, looking at a series of parables from Matthew and Luke. We, we, we looked briefly this past Sunday at Mark just to give him his due. All four gospel writers include either parables or parabolic sayings. John, more metaphors than, than parables, but, you know, we live in a day and age where words don't have meaning anymore. So. Um, but uh, I think we can look at the parable, one of the parables where Jesus takes us directly to the cross. So with that, if you will stand with me out of reverence to God's word, we want to read um, Matthew 21, verses 23 to 46. Matthew the Evangelist writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered him, I will also ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven? From man. And they discussed among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd. For they all hold that John was a prophet. So he answered Jesus, we do not know. he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? Man, has two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, to tax collectors and prostitutes, go in the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a winepress in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When The season for fruit drew near. He sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This, has, this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. When it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables. They perceived that he was speaking about them. Although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Our Father, always, best, you to open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and ears, our hands, our feet, our mouths, so that we would receive your word, apply it to our lives, and be transformed by your Spirit. Be kind to us as we come to celebrate your death, knowing that it didn't end at the cross, but all was accomplished at the empty tomb. May I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son. We pray. Amen. Be seated. Who do you think you are? Right, that's the question of the text. If if these were kids, right, or at least whatever I was a kid, the question would be something like, "Who died and made you king?" right? That's the question we, we would ask. If, 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 if we were minding our own business, me and the buddies, and someone came in and started bothering us, we'd look at them and say, I'm sorry, who died and made you king, right? But that, that's the issue here, is who do you think you are? And so in verses 23 to 27 is, is, the, is that question that, that the religious elites are given Jesus. Who do you think you are? And so in verse 23, we, we find Jesus teaching in the temple, right? This is his final week. He's, he's had quite a busy uh, week thus far, or a few days, we, we, we should say. And while he was there teaching openly in the temple, now remember, he's able to teach in the temple because in the passage prior to this, he cleanses the temple. And Matthew makes a big deal about when Jesus cleanses the temple, the poor and the destitute and, and the tax collectors and the sinners all come now into the temple, and, and what do we find in the temple here in Matthew's gospel? It is Jesus, and he is teaching uh, there. Now that it has been cleansed, he's no longer a, a dinner robber's. It is a house of worship. And their question is again very simple: Who do you, this this redneck from Galilee with a funny accent, who do you think you are? What are your credentials? Right? And all these guys have, have degrees from prestigious uh, institutions and universities. And no doubt they talk with, with funny accents because they think they are entitled to it. Who is, what are your credentials? What is your authority? Why should anyone listen to you? And notice the language they, they use there in uh, verse 23 uh, when they ask, uh, What authority are you doing these things? These things are, are significant. Now, now, the immediate context tells us what these things are. For one, these things reference to his teachings. And we have plenty of examples of, of what Jesus' teachings were like throughout the four Gospels. But his immediate context is two events. We've already mentioned the cleansing of, of the temple. That would have been uh, newsworthy, to say the least. A guy shows up with a whip and uh, gets rid of all the money changers, you know, uh, basically what he did was he changed the color of the carpet of the Baptist church without asking anyone's permission, right? There wasn't a vote on it. He just showed up and did it. And that would have made all the religious people very upset. You you don't change something that we've had it this way for for decades, even centuries, but Jesus does it anyways. But even before that, it, it might be a hint at his triumphal entry. Who do you think you are to walk in Jerusalem, little Galilean, little carpenter's kid, and to think that you're royal? that you're, you're Messiah, that you're entitled to something, and then to march into our temple and to just tell us how we ought to run things. You don't have the credentials that we have. You don't have the experience that we have. You don't know all the stuff that we know or have the authority that we have. So Jesus does what every good rabbi at this time would do. Uh, No doubt we we do it today. It gets quite annoying. Maybe your father did this. You would ask him a question and he will respond with another question, right? And he gets quite annoying, but it's a very effective way of teaching. It's an effective way of, uh, it's a Socratic method is perhaps the way you've you've heard it today. And so Jesus says, well, I'll answer your question, but first answer mine. Uh, uh, He says there, verse 25, the baptism of John... Where did it come from? Here are your two choices, from heaven or from man, right? Now, I don't know what sort of student you were, but I love true or false questions on a test, especially if it were a subject I hadn't studied for. Because I knew that no matter what, you'd at least get a 50%, which means depending on what your GPA was uh, for, for that class, that, that if, if, you, if, if, if all you needed was a 50% to pass the class You could put true on all of them, and there's a good chance you're going to pass the class. I may or may not have done something like that in my elementary Hebrew class. Uh, Chris, that wasn't true or false. It was all vocab. It was, uh, well, I'm sure the word Israel is in here somewhere. One of these has to be Israel. Um, I did pass the class, just not with a grade that pleased anyone. But nevertheless, uh, so so this is a 50-50 question, right? Pick A or B. That's all you have to do, pick one. Um, and they are utterly, completely stumped. Now, the reason I think Jesus points us to John the Baptist is, is for one, um, the only person in whom Jesus might be connected to would be that of John the Baptist. After all, Jesus was baptized by by the Southern Baptizer. And and you remember at the time, uh, John himself said that Jesus is greater than him, but at least the the, the story is there, the legacy is there, Is, is first came John and he was baptizing. And this guy here identified with that ministry. His preaching is essentially the same. Matthew 3, John says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 4, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So if there was anyone that Jesus might be connected to, not an institution, not a university, not another rabbi, it would be John the Baptist. And so, so he, he asked them this question. John the Baptist had been beheaded, and they didn't, they didn't shed one tear over it. Under whose authority did John preach? Is, is he from heaven or is he from man, right? And of course, this is it's not a, quick, a trick question. You and I can answer this pretty quickly, right? It's, it, it, it comes from heaven, his message comes from heaven. But to the religious elites who care about the applause of the crowd, they want good polling numbers, right? They, they they want to keep all those Twitter followers. They see this as a trick question. And what Jesus is doing is calling their bluff. On the one hand, they, they punt, right? You know, they, they think, well, you know, we'll take option C. I don't know. Have you ever watched the news, which I don't recommend anymore? But maybe you watch the news and they have a poll up. And it could be anything, right? And, and, they'll ha- and it's a yes or no question. You know, do you think we should bomb these people? Or do you think this person is an evil human being? Whatever it might be. And, and there's a yes, there's a no, and there is too high of a percentage that says, I don't know. Has that ever bothered you? Right? It, it's, it's, it, it could be very obvious. You should have opinion on this, right? Um, yes. No, and then there is like 15% of people that shrugged, right? <laughs> right? Like, okay, that's what they do. They choose option three, even though there wasn't an option three. And so we see there in verse 27, because they didn't answer Jesus' question, he does not answer theirs. And it's tempting for us to think that's how the passage ends. Jesus, once again, shows his credentials. He's smarter than they, uh, moving on to the next Uh, passage, but I think you'll see that Jesus does answer their question, not directly, but he's he's, he's actually taken their question by whose authority are you doing these things? And, and, And through these two parables, he directs it to them. He looks at them and says, you're so worried about my credentials. You're so worried about my authority. You're so worried about who I am. Let's take a closer look at who you are. Who died? Jesus asks. And made you king. So he gives this first parable which illustrates that the religious elites are hypocrites. And it's a pretty straightforward. I I don't think we we need to go into a lot of detail here. It's it's a very, very simple parable. There's two boys, right? And and the father says, I want both you kids to go into the vineyard and work, right? I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I'm becoming convinced this may be I think I'm becoming old. For one, it's because of what I'm about to say. The other is because um, every time I go running, I take ibuprofen because something happens when I sleep that I hurt when I go running. Is that a sign when you're old when sleeping causes you pain? Is that the last sign? I've reached that, I'm not even 40 yet. Right. So so but the other reason why why I think I'm getting noticed because I think every young man, it wouldn't hurt if every young woman joined them, should have one of two jobs in their young years. Either working on a farm or joining the military, right? I'm at that point. Give them boots or a shovel, right? That's what every kid needs these days. But then again, there goes a ligament. Um, so, but you got two kids, right? And, and they're sent into the vineyard. Boy number one says, all right, pops, uh, I'll do it. Don't worry about me. I'll get up before the rooster crows, right? I'll be the first one out there and I'll work harder than anyone else. You don't have to worry about me. And he doesn't do it. Clearly a millennial. The second kid says, Nope, I stayed up too late. Nope, I'm lazy. Nope, don't wanna. Nope, mom won't make me. Whatever his excuse is, right? He says, no, I won't do it. But then he eventually does go out when the rooster crows and he works hard and does everything else. So the question is, Not which son should be dealt with. Both need to be dealt with, okay, (laughs) right? You shouldn't tell your father no whenever he's giving you a clear direction, nor should you disobey him, right? We get that. But the question Jesus asks here is, is pretty straightforward. Which one of the two sons has done the will of the father? The the answer to this is is very simple. This is A or B, son one or son two. And the answer is, and you see that the religious elites uh, give it, uh, give the answer in verse 31, the second son. Although he initially said, no, I I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't want to miss the game again. uh, uh, But he does go and obey the father. That is the son that obeys the father and does his will. And so Jesus then applies it for us in verse 31 and 32. Uh, there he, he says um, at, the, at the end of verse 31, uh, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, why is that the case? What he's saying is that the religious elites are the first son. They talk a good talk. They say they're going to do this or that, but at the end of the day, they don't do the will of the Father. Those who have come now into the temple after Jesus cleanses it. Yes, they are wicked. Yes, they are sinners. Yes, they need Jesus. But they now, having repented of their sins, are doing the work of the Father. They are doing the will of God himself. Verse 32, for John came to you in the way of righteousness. You did not believe him. That's the issue, isn't it? John came preaching righteousness. And what did you do? You shunned him. You, you didn't want to make him one of, one of you. Wasn't his father a priest? He should have fit in right with you. And yet you, you rejected him. You do not believe him, he says, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe. You see what Jesus is saying here. He says, look, you guys are worse off than the tax collectors and the harlots that are now in the temple. The reason is is because you see the clear manifestation of God's work and you still reject it. This is a, a plea from Jesus nearing his own death. And these are the people who, who will conspire to, to kill him. He's still pleading with them. You still have time to be like the second son. Although you initially rejected, though you initially disobeyed, there is still time for you to come and follow the way of righteousness. And then that leads to the second parallel. You need to see here that all of this is, is connected. So, so he's clearly identified them as the second son who rejects the will of the father. Now he's going to really indict them. So if in the first parable he indicts them for hypocrisy, in the second parable he will condemn them for rejecting the will of God. This is a parable of judgment. So it starts in verse 33. Here, here's, here's another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a winepress in it, built a tower, leased it to the tenants, and went into another country. Now, if you're reading this in the first century, there's nothing unique about this, nothing shocking about it. This is the way the system works. Uh, the landowner, he buys the property, he plants the vineyard, he builds the walls around it, digs a winepress in it, builds a tower, all of that. Uh, and notice that the landlord himself does all of this. This is his work. No one can get credit for anything in this vineyard but him. He is the originator. He is the owner. He is the possessor of the vineyard he then rents the property out to some vine growers, right? He, 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 he's, gonna, he's, he's got other properties he's going to maintain. He's got Perhaps he's got other investments he's got to take care of. And so he's going to to hire these, these vine growers to take care of it for him. And then whenever the, the produce comes in and they're harvest and all that sort of stuff, he's going to reap a lot of the profits. Right? We get this as, as 21st century Americans. We love economics, even though we, we may have failed it in school, which we don't teach economics in high school. That's the problem. But nevertheless, that one semester, you took it in college, right? We get this, right? When you go to Walmart and and you buy something, does all that money stay at that Walmart? No. A chunk of it goes to home office. Right, I worked in retail. I, I saw what we bought the product for. I also saw what we sold it for. I also saw what percentage went to uh, 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 maintaining and uh, the, the property that we were renting. I saw what went to staff and, and payroll, and I saw the good chunk that home office got. Right, and then we understand how this works. It's basically what they're doing here. They have a job. And, and they get paid at this job, but the proceeds essentially are going to go to the landowner who built everything. He's the owner of everything, it is all his. I mean, we get this. There's, there's nothing, nothing strange about this. Well, harvest comes in verses 34, 36, and so the landowner sends some of his servants in to, to collect the goods right? And, and this is their job. They're going to show up and say, okay, let's see what you've been doing. Let's see what you produced. All right. Uh, the landowner is going to be pleased with this. The master will, will be pleased with it. Notice that it says there, that they, they were sent to receive his produce. It is his. It is no one else's. It is his. After all, it's got his name on the bottle. It's got his name on the gate out front. It is his and no one else's. He's the one that owns everything. So what do they do? They come with a plan. They're going to abuse Threaten and even murder every servant that comes. So basically, um, I will drop that joke. They're going to become the mob. Okay, I got a better joke, but forget I'm dealing with state employees. So, um, and so they, they deal with all that, right? One after another. He sends another one in, and then they do the same thing. He sends another one in, they do the same thing. Now, notice verse 37 says um, finally he sent his son to them saying they will respect my son now you and I may want to say, okay, buddy, here's the deal if you've got a lot of employees you sent to do one job at one location and they all turned up missing some point you need to make a phone call and and, and the number and the, the and the numbers are nine one, and then followed by another one right uh, you need to speed dial the cops and say, I can't prove it but Correlation causation thing, right? You know, uh, those burial plots were not there the last time I was here, right? Right, we get that. But remember, th- th- these are not, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe here, okay? You know, not every detail is going to have an Easter egg. You, we're just going to move forward. So, so, so all the servants have, have been abused and murdered and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. And then he says to himself, "Self, I know they will respect my son. He's the heir. He's the one that is going to be running the business when I'm gone. He's the one that's going to be in charge. Certainly, they're going to be on his good side, right? I mean, we get this. Um, Well, that is not the case. Notice what happens there, verse 38. When the tenants saw the sun, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. Now, again, we read that as Americans and say, his inheritance, why would they get that? Right? That's not how it works. But this is how it works here. If there is no one to claim the property, if there is no heir, it goes to the workers. The vine growers, the servants here, they would inherit uh, the vineyard. So the reasoning is, if we get rid of him, we could take it for ourselves. Verse 38, they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, there, there is some delusion here. An illusion is that the vine growers forget the owner still lives. They miss that part. It's sort of an important detail, isn't it? The guy's sending the servants. The guy's sending his son. He's still around. He's very powerful, very wealthy, and he's ready for a fight now. And so Jesus does with this parable what he did with the other parable. Is he turns into a Q and A? He's a good teacher here, right? He tells the story, and then, then he, he's he's going to apply the story, but but he wants you to catch the application, right? And so, verse forty and forty one, uh, uh, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Same thing you and I would do. It's bad enough you mess with all my employees. Now you done mess with my boy. This is my error. This, this is a big deal. And this is their answer there in uh, verse 41. He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And, uh, you see what, he's, what they're saying. We agree with this, right? I mean, there's no, no debate about it. He will come ready to throw down, right? He will be dressed in an FBI jacket, And he will be leading the charge, right? He will lead the military in. He's going to deal with them. It's going to be swift. Western justice is what he's going to do. He's going to put those wretches to a wretched end. Is that what your translation says? I mean, I love that. Put these wretches to a wretched end. And then what is he going to do? going to get other vine growers. Who won't do this to him. After all, he is still the owner. Now, you see the connection with with the, the, the previous one, right? Right before, you had two sons. Now you have two groups of servants. The first son says, I will work, but won't, but doesn't. Second one says, I won't work, but does. Here you have the first group of vine growers. They are abusive, violent murderers, and they are judged. Which then leads to this second group that, we're, that is hinted at. And they're the opposites. They may have came second, but they will prove to be more faithful and fruitful in the end. So, 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 so what, do we, what do we do with this? Well, I, I think it's very clear if, if, if this helps your approach. I'm always leery of doing this, but I think it works with this parable. I think God is clearly the landowner here. He owns the vineyard. He owns the property. it has got his name on the gate out front. I, I, I don't think there's any debate about that. Uh, the, the servants who are sent to, to collect uh, the, the harvest and the produce, I think they're clearly the prophets, right? It, it, Jesus and, and the New Testament were frequently, and even the Old Testament, frequently talk about how the people of Israel rejected their own prophets, many of whom were uh, abused uh, and, and even murdered. Uh, read Hebrews 11. You'll get a few examples there. Um, the vine growers are, uh, the, well, more broadly speaking, the Israelites, right? They're the ones over centuries who have been uh, uh punishing their, their, their own prophets. But here in particular, I think it's safe to say Jesus has the religious elites in, in mind. And finally, who is the son here? Well, that's probably the easiest to tell, isn't it? The son is Jesus. right? You, you knew that in Sunday school. What this is, is a parable of judgments. Because the Jewish leaders have not respected the authority of the father, that's the first parable, they will abuse and murder his son. It's the second parable. Remember that question. Who do you think you are? They're asking Jesus that. But in these two parables, Jesus is, is asking the religious elites to, to look in a mirror. And he's etched that question and applied it to them. Who do you think you are? That's the point of the parables. It's all in the context of of those opening verses, that that opening scene. Or really what it is that they're asking is, who died and made you king? That's the real question, isn't it? Because because Jesus illustrates that you're, you're hypocrites, you're under the judgment of God. But notice what the second parable does. The second parable sets up the rest of the Gospel of Matthew and gives us a template by which we can read the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. What happens to the Son? The Father sends the Son as he sent the prophets, a prophet like John the Baptist. And so Jesus here is saying, not that the Son is equal to the prophets, or that Jesus is equal to John. And if you won't admit that John's authority comes from heaven, how much more so is the authority of the Son? I'm the one with all the authority. My authority, my rights come directly from above. From heaven, not from man. Yet despite that, what do the religious elites do? They go and make him king by killing him upon a cross. You see, what we see here in the cross is that the religious elites like these vine growers, think that if they kill the son, the kingdom is then theirs. But the point of the story is, if you kill the son, the kingdom is now his. That's the point of this passage. After all, isn't that what he says there in verse 42? Have you never read in the scriptures? Remember, they have the entire Old Testament memorized. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The stone which the growers rejected, that is Jesus, will become the chief cornerstone. He who died will become king. The religious elites will be removed from God's kingdom and judgment, and it will be given to those who will produce fruits of repentance, like those at the feet of Jesus here, the tax collectors and the harlots. This means that the death of the son is not defeat. It is the key, the pivotal event of victory. The religious elites question Jesus' authority to claim divinity and royalty, and then to cleanse the temple because they see him rightly as a threat to their kingdom. Jesus comes and dies to all of that, so that in being raised from the dead, it is now becomes his kingdom. And who is it that comes into the kingdom? The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the wicked. You and me. You and me. Because God's kingdom is God's kingdom, not mine. God's church is God's church, not mine. God's plan for my life is God's plan for my life not mine. That's the key to the passage of it, planet. Who do you think you are? That's the question for the religious elites that Jesus is turning against them. It's also the question of the American elites. Increasingly as a question of our fellow citizens. And the answer today is the same as it was when these parables were first told. Jesus is the conqueror upon a cross. He's the victor of the resurrection. He is the chief cornerstone. Who died and made you king? No wonder then that above Jesus' head, nailed to the cross with him as a sign. What does it say? This is Nazareth. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Who's king? Let's pray.